And if you have your print Bible, I encourage you to uh, turn to chapter 12. Now, you have probably heard the acronym SWAT. Uh, stands, it's what most police forces around the world have. There's a special unit, and SWAT stands for Special Weapons and Tactics. And the whole concept of a specialized little team within the police force has kind of captured the public's imagination. There's a film that came out in 2003 uh, entitled SWAT. There you go. Uh, and there's also a spin-off TV show that's now about to go into its fifth season. Uh, in Canada, uh, the RCMP and provincial police tend to not call it SWAT, they call it ERT, Emergency Response Team. So where did this whole idea of SWAT teams originate? Well, it came up in Los Angeles in the late 1960s, and it was a result of several sniping incidents against civilians and police officers. Uh, and on critical examination, though, the LAPD looked at it and said, how did we handle this? What was the best response? And they realized, you know, we were just really unprepared to deal with someone like a sniper in downtown Los Angeles. And so this young officer, John Nelson, came up with this idea that this specialized team would undergo rigorous training. There would be a super high standard to even get into it. And they would learn how to use special weapons and tactics. And uh, he got the whole idea approved. And thus we have SWAT uh, teams all over the country, in Canada and the States. Now, Hollywood stock and trade, of course, is sensationalizing the action, where it's just constant action every hour of every day for the SWAT team. Uh, it's probably not exactly like that. So when I was doing a little research, I wanted some legit police stories. So I reached out to my friend Jordan Rendell, who is one of our missionaries that we support. Uh, Jordan has been uh, working, he and his wife, Marilyn, with Youth for Christ International for many, many years. Right now they're in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, but Jordan started out his whole career as a police officer with the Saanich Police Department. So I messaged him. I said, Jordan, I need some dramatic rescue stories. He goes, oh, I got tons. Uh, he says, uh, I recall a time that there was some teenagers down in Victoria, and they decided they were going to get in this little boat and head out from Cordova Bay. And that was probably really fun for about the first hour till the wind and the tides and everything and the wind came up and just took them way out. They were cruising through the Gulf Islands. They were panicked. <laughs> they had no way to, to stop. And uh, so the Jordan and the police got into the police boat and they were able to find them and rescue them. He says probably the slightly even crazier time was when there was a whole group of uh, teenagers drinking in kind of the Broadmead area of Victoria. And there was this big water tower, and they thought, you know what, that'd be really cool. We should climb up there. And so this one teen climbed up there, and then someone in the neighborhood said, whoa, that's so dangerous. There's kids out there. So they called the police. So the police came, and they realized it was so high that they needed to bring in harnesses, ropes, repelling gear, all this kind of stuff. So the one specialized officer and one of the firemen went up, got all the way up the water tower, and the kid panicked in kind of his drunken state, and he started to run, and he actually fell off the whole water tower, and there was all these bushes and trees and branches, and it kind of cushioned him, and he was stuck halfway down. And so they had to rappel down, get this kid, calm him down, and get him. He was fine in the end. It's all good. So 
Sometimes you just need the specialized team with all that gear and training to show up and rescue someone. And as I was preparing the sermon this week in Acts chapter 12, it features an angel who comes to rescue the Apostle Peter. And the way the angel acts, I don't know if I've just been watching too much SWAT television show or what the deal is, but I was like, he's just like a SWAT officer. This is amazing. So, if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 12, we're picking up in verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw this, that this met with approval among the Jews, he also proceeded to seize Peter. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison and handed him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Sixteen for one guy. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Wow, this is a predicament. Now, when a SWAT commander shows up on scene, the very first thing, he gets his team to fan out, and he says, I want a sit rep. And uh, sit rep means a situation report. Like, tell me what the lay of the land is here before we go in. And that's exactly what we need when we kind of hit chapter 12. What's going on? Luke throws a lot of names at us, a lot of places. What is happening here? Well, the first question is, it says that King Herod killed James the Apostle, and then he put Peter in. So which Herod are we talking about? There's a bunch of Herods that show up in the Gospels in the second half of the Bible. The first one we're probably most familiar with is Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great was king of the Roman province of Judea, and this Herod always shows up at Christmas time. Uh, he's the one who met with the wise men, had him over for dinner, tried to deceive them, find out where Jesus was going to be born, and then sent out his soldiers to try and kill the infant uh, baby Jesus. That is Herod. And if you ever get to go to Israel, you will keep encountering the ruins of these massive building projects that Herod built. The guy was a complete megalomaniac. He wanted to, to have his reputation last for thousands of years. And so he actually bled the Jewish people dry of money. He taxed them so heavily so that he would have the resources for these huge building projects. All right, that's the first Herod. Second Herod is Herod Antipas. And he is the nephew of Herod the Great. He had a scandalous, immoral marriage to his sister-in-law. And this is the Herod that had John the Baptist imprisoned and eventually beheaded. So that's the second Herod. And then finally we come to Herod Agrippa. And this is the Herod that we meet in chapter 12. Total schmuck, no morals, who wanted to make the general Jewish population and their leaders happy for political reasons. So he seems to have inherited his grandfather's kind of self-absorbed craziness. So now we know which Herod we're talking about, but then we read that he had James killed. Well, hold on, which James are we talking about? 
There's two famous James in kind of the New Testament or the second half of the Bible. First one is James, the brother of Jesus. Probably more accurate to call him the half-brother of Jesus. Mary was their mother, but they had different fathers. James clearly had Joseph as his father. Jesus had God the Father as his father. James did not accept or believe in Jesus' true identity or who he was his entire time that Jesus was alive. It was only after Jesus was put to death on the cross and resurrected and made a special appearance to his brother James that he came to believe. And people have pointed out that, you know what, if the brother that you grew up with, the brother that you rolled around in the backyard with and were fighting and throwing each other in the mud, if you are so convinced that that brother is the Son of God, truly who He says He was, the Savior of the world. Wow, that is extremely convincing evidence indeed. James would go on to become the leader of the church in Jerusalem and the author of the book of James in the second half of the Bible. That's the first James. Now, the second James is James the Apostle. That's who we're talking about here in chapter 12. James is part of Jesus' inner core of disciples. He had the 12, but when he had special things, he would always take the three, Peter, James, and John. James and John were brothers. John would go on to write the Gospel of John, the letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. James and John, together, these two brothers, earned the nickname Sons of Thunder. So apparently they were loud, they were forceful in their opinion, they had lots to say, in their younger days. There's a fascinating scene in Mark chapter 10 when James and John interact with Jesus. This is what happened, picking up verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, when Jesus talks about drinking the drink and being baptized, what he means is, James and John, are you prepared to suffer the same kind of way that I'm going to suffer? Are you willing to die for me? They volunteer without really knowing what they're saying, but Jesus prophesies and says, actually, you will suffer and die for me. And right here in Acts 12, is where that comes through, through true for the Apostle James. He becomes the second Christian martyr right after Stephen. Now, Herod Agrippa won't stop there. He has killed the Apostle James. But that met with great approval by the Jewish leaders. So he decides, well, if that worked, then I'll put Peter, the lead apostle, I'll put him in jail. So he's arrested. Now, Peter would still be grieving over James' death. This was his good friend. For three and a half years they'd been with Jesus. He would be heartbroken about this. And now Peter's in jail. He must have been thinking, Lord, is this my time too? Is this it? Is this when I'm going to die? Now, 
They must have considered Peter a real threat. Wasn't that amazing? Four squads of four soldiers each. Sixteen soldiers to guard one guy. It's crazy. They've got him chained up between two guards. Crazy amounts of guards. Overkill security. Totally impossible for Peter to escape. Well, totally impossible unless you have an angelic SWAT team about to break into the prison. We're going to pick it up in verse 7. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what had happened that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one of the streets, suddenly an angel left him. Then Peter came to himself, said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent this angel, rescued me from Herod's clutches, from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Well, I've entitled the second point, we have a 1098 in progress. Now, as you may have guessed, 1098 means prison break. And this one is unlike most prison breaks in history. Uh, It doesn't use a regular SWAT team, but obviously an angelic SWAT team. Now, it's interesting to me how our popular culture thinks about angels. Typically, we either see angels presented as these cute little chubby baby naked angels with wings, or... Um, there, we just kind of talk about them as maybe like these really kind, uh, really smart servants that just kind of show up whenever we need something. Then you actually read the Bible about legit angels and they come across slightly different. It describes angels in the book of Hebrews. This is what it says. He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. Now, every time an angel shows up in the Bible, they're really powerful beings. People's first reaction is, whoa, to be a little taken aback, to be a little afraid. Slightly different than maybe the chubby naked baby angels. Angels aren't just sent to do whatever we human beings want in the moment. They're actually there to accomplish God's specific will. In this case, it is to free Peter, the lead apostle. Now, if this story was told in 2021 by the Hallmark Movie Channel, I think the angel would be presented a little differently. He would show up and he would gently cradle Peter's sleeping head so as not to startle him. And then he would whisper in his ear, Peter, it's time to wake up. Then the angel would give Peter a back massage, give him a new set of clothes. He would gently take the chains off. As they walked out of prison, he would say, Peter, how are you feeling about this whole experience? (laughs) 
at the moment of parting, the angel would probably give Peter a hug and hand him a bumper sticker like this one. Caution, never drive faster than your angel can fly. Well, that may be a 21st century representation of how angels are, but it isn't really the biblical picture. It isn't what we see here in Acts 12. There's a big light, a big angel standing in front of Peter. Then the angel strikes him on the side. Now, I'm sure he didn't hurt him, but it's a far cry from cradling his head and whispering in his ear. The angel's full of authority and power. He makes the chains fall off. He doesn't even appear to touch them. The door opens. Peter simply obeys. Peter gets it right away. He's like, just do exactly what the angel says. When the, this 1098 prison break is successful, the angel simply disappears. No hug, no bumper sticker, nothing. My simple and basic point is that God has these powerful heavenly servants to accomplish His will. And we are invited. The Bible regularly says, call out to me when you're in distress. Call out for help. Now, God may send us an amazing crew of SWAT angels, but we shouldn't trivialize them or try to manipulate them. God also has powerful earthly servants to accomplish His will. Yes, apostles like Peter, but also you and I. And you maybe think, whoa, 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 Darren, I'm not in the same category as the Apostle Peter. But then think back to Peter's life. A lot of ups and a lot of downs. It was a long journey of learning how to follow Jesus. Peter wasn't a perfect individual. He was an amazing guy, full of courage. But God had to work with him. The will of God will be accomplished no matter who God chooses to use. Krista Penner, who works for our Fellowship Pacific denomination, is always saying this phrase, and I love it. She says, remember, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. That is a phenomenal statement. It's so beautiful because it reminds us you don't have to come preloaded to be used in the kingdom of God. You're going to show up with an amazing resume of a perfect life, tons of skills, abilities, gifts, God says, just take a step, start following me, and I will equip you along the way. I think the key verse for Peter is, is verse 11. He says, it's really true. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders plan to do to me. You know, it's, it's the reality, isn't it? If you follow Jesus, if you actually step out in faith and start to reach out in love and service to those around you, we have an enemy who is not happy about that. And you will encounter opposition. He does not want to see the kingdom of God grow. He doesn't want to see people restored and brought back to health. He doesn't want to see people come to faith in Him. It's good and right to pray for rescue in those times. It's good and right to ask God to send powerful angels if that's what's needed. And I want to say to all of us this morning, everyone here, all of our online listeners, call out to God no matter what you're going through. It's not just the big disasters where you're thrown in prison. It's also the little things, all the struggles each and every day. And I don't know one scripture better than Psalm 40, 1 to 3, that declares it any better. I love these verses. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. 
and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. All right, so God has rescued Peter. Now he is standing at the door where a group of Christians had gathered to pray for him. He knocks, and this girl Rhoda comes, but she's so excited she forgets to open the door. So Peter's still standing there. Let's find out what happens. I'm going to pick it up in verse 15. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Our third and final point is entitled, We Are Code 4. Uh, I can't believe that worked. Now you probably know or guess Code 4 means everything is under control. Now, there's some comedy in this scene. I love how this girl, this servant girl, Rhoda, is so excited, she kind of forgets to open the door. You know, I'm sure Peter was there. He might have even laughed. He's like, I can escape from prison, but I can't get into the prayer meeting. What is happening here? So verse 15 has always kind of confused me. What in the world do these Christians mean? It must be his angel. Well, I'm using a commentary for this series by C.K. Barrett, and he helped clear it up for us. This is what he says. Judaism believed in protecting and guiding angels, and these were sometimes thought to resemble the human beings they, who they protected. So they thought that if she's looking and seeing Peter, they thought, oh, it's just an angel who looks like Peter. Super interesting. Okay. But it strikes me, that this scene is so heavy with irony. These Christians had gathered. This is late at night. Remember, Peter was asleep when the angel came and rescued him. This is probably the middle of the night. This is a serious prayer meeting. They had gathered. They were praying. It was probably one or two in the morning. These guys were fervently praying, and their prayer was, Lord, please miraculously rescue Peter from prison. But now that it has happened... <laughs> They actually can't believe it. They're like, no, no, that wouldn't happen. It's completely ironic. It's almost funny. Except when we stop and consider, wait a second, it's a little bit like us, isn't it? You and I do, do that too. We pray, ask God for things. And then when he answers, we're just shocked and unbelievably amazed. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges of this passage is a call to boldness in prayer. When we are praying something that's in line with the kingdom of God, with His will, then don't beat around the bush. Pray it boldly. Jumping 1,900 years from the book of Acts to the country of Poland in the 1950s, I want to tell you about a group of Christians who prayed boldly. Chuck Colson, in his classic book, The Body, shares the story of Christians in Poland in this town called Nawa Huta. 
Now, as we all know, if you think back to your Second World War history, the Allied nations were attacking from the west, and the Russians were attacking from the east. And uh, once the Second World War was over, all the area indicated in yellow on the map that the Russians took over, those just became communist countries, including the country of Poland. And right away, the Communist Party officials wanted to build a perfect model town. What does communism look like in a perfect town? And so they chose this site where there had never been a town in Poland before, and they called it Nawahuta, which simply means in Polish, new town. And so they set up this town, and they started planning it and all this stuff. And they thought they were being so generous. They were making all the people live in concrete row block housing. And they gave them an apartment. And the thing was, the, apparently the kitchen entrance was so small and narrow that a woman who was kind of past six months of pregnancy couldn't even get in sideways. And they, they even gave them hot and cold water. Like, they just thought they were being so generous. It's unbelievable. But the people weren't happy. There was a huge empty square in the middle of Nawahuta, and the people said, we want a church here. And the communist officials like, we've given you everything. Now you want a church? Are you crazy? No, we're not building you a church. And the people said, we want a church. And they argued back and forth. And finally, one night, a Polish priest and several young Christians gathered together got this wood together, built this cross, and erected it right there in the center of town. And the communist officials came the next day. They were horrified to see this cross. And they said, okay, okay, we'll build you a church. But they were just saying it to pacify them. They never really intended to build the church there. And finally, as, as the people began to gather, they would gather each night around the cross. They began to sing and pray. They would do communion together. And this just angered and annoyed the communist officials so much and the people kept praying that this one day god would establish a church in their town finally the communist officials came back said absolutely no church we are going to put a school here and they cut the cross down chopped it up but the christians were ready they had been working in someone's woodworking shop and had an oak cross all ready to go. So then they snuck out in the middle of the night, put up the cross. In the morning, there's a new cross there. And this went on for years, years, until finally the late 60s. And these early Christians had been praying and praying and praying. And finally they came to this unbelievably beautiful realization. This is what they realized. The church is not a building, they said to one another. The church is us celebrating the presence of our Lord among us. Praise be to God. And once they had made that realization, once God had accomplished that realization in the community, then he actually blessed them with a physical building. And you can go to this town, Nauhuta, in Poland and see it. It's called the Arca Pana. And it's designed, it's a Roman Catholic church designed to look like Noah's Ark. I saw some pictures inside, absolutely gorgeous. And when I, yeah, there you go. When I read that story, I think it really made me realize, you know what? 
the prayers of those first early Christians praying for Peter's release so fervently, they couldn't be stopped. God did an amazing thing. The prayers of those people in that communist Polish town couldn't be stopped. God did an amazing thing. And I want to remind each and every one of us, all of our online viewers this morning, when we cry out to God for our town, our province, our nation, God just may do something absolutely amazing and maybe even send us an angelic SWAT team. But no matter who or what God chooses to use when His people look to Him in faith and are unified in our prayers, then we are all code for. Everything is okay. Amen?